You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. like Jairus, the Jewish synagogue ruler that we studied a few weeks ago that now didn't care anything about what his peers, who had nothing to do with Jesus for the most part, didn't believe in Jesus, were antagonistic toward Jesus, but he doesn't care because his daughter is dying, and so he goes to Jesus. And this woman could care less what anybody else thinks for the sake of her daughter. She seeks out Jesus because she has heard he's healing people and he's driving demons out of people. When looking for help, the world searches desperately and tries just about anything in order to find relief. Self-help books, media, politicians, or even mediation promise a quick and easy fix. However, as you'll learn today in Pastor Danny's message, sometimes the world has nothing to offer of any lasting value. Only God can heal, help, or guide people to restoration. And when unbelievers reach the end of their rope, they turn to God in desperation because He is the true source of life, peace, and wholeness. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 7, as he begins his message, A Persistent Pagan in Need. Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. Last weekend in our text, uh, first part of chapter 7, the Pharisees criticized Jesus' disciples for not ceremonially washing their hands before they eat. One of the many religious traditions passed on by Jewish leaders um, through the years. Jesus came to his disciples' defense and brought in the truth And one of the things he said is that these guys uh, were observing rules taught by men, just religious things that weren't founded in truth. But even with that, even sometimes tradition, religious tradition that's founded in truth um, may not do us any good because the heart of Jesus' teaching deals with the heart. And what he taught us last week in the text is No religious tradition, even founded in truth, does anybody any good if it doesn't affect the heart. Man's need is not for more religion. You study the history of mankind, there's been no shortage of religion and religious practice. The problem is not religion. The problem is the heart. Man's problem is a heart problem. That's what we learned last week. Now, icing on the cake that I hope you'll appreciate, I know I do, uh, Jesus in this teaching declared all foods clean. Hallelujah. Now, it's in the context of that that we come to this next real-life situation in the ministry of Jesus. Verse 24, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. 
he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it where he was in the house. I, I'm encouraged by that. Even Jesus sometimes just want to get away for some R&R. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syria and Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, he said, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. What's up with that? Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter, which tells us the daughter is not with her. She went home, found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. We're not given the woman's name. Like the woman who interrupted Jairus and Jesus, Jairus, the Jewish synagogue ruler whose daughter is at home dying. Jesus agrees to go with him to minister to her. And on the way, if you were with us a few weeks ago, the study on that story, a woman with an issue of blood interrupts them. Jesus heals her. And in the process of that time ministering to her, Jairus's daughter dies. We don't know that woman's name. We don't know this woman's name, anonymous. And when that happens, uh, it causes me to question and to wonder. Now, I spent a lot of time wondering and questioning this text. You pay me to do that. And I, I wonder, where's the dad? Why didn't dad come? Is this woman married? Was she married? Now she's divorced. Is she a single mom? Is she living with the dad? The child was born out of wedlock. I don't have answers to those questions, so anything's possible. The father is no doubt a pagan. We'll come back to that, but just trust me. More than likely, he's a pagan, which means that he wouldn't think of coming to a Jewish rabbi and seek help for his family. Now, I don't know if I've ever done this, and I haven't. I apologize because I should have. But in teaching, uh, I occasionally mention what the Bible would call, in some translations, a pagan. But I don't know if I've ever given you a definition of what a pagan is, because it's not just one definition. So please, listen up. Pagan means someone with a polytheistic religion. What that means is they have uh, more than one God they believe in, one, more than one God they worship. They're polytheistic. It can also just mean very simply a religious uh, person who has religious beliefs other than Christianity. And Christians would call them pagans because they don't believe, don't believe in Jesus, that he's the Messiah. It can also mean simply someone not subscribing to the main religions of the world. They would be called a pagan. And one last one, a pagan also can be a hedonist. What's a hedonist? A hedonist is somebody who believes that the chief end of man and the goal of man is pleasure, living for self and uh, pleasing self, do, doing it your way. A hedonist. 
Now, one of those, one of those in terms of pagan fits this woman. That's why the Holy Spirit is very careful to tell us in verse 26, the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. Holy Spirit doesn't waste words. That's important for the story and what we would get from the story and what God wants to teach us. This was ancient Canaan. Two key cities of ancient Canaan, Tyre and Sidon. If you know anything about the Bible, you know those names are more than once in the Bible, the Old Testament, especially. One, Ezekiel 28, where God talks about the people of Sidon, and he says, I'm against you, Sidon, and one day I'm going to judge you. Why? Because of your pagan practices, your pagan beliefs. Another, Zechariah, and these aren't the only two, but Zechariah chapter 9, he talks about Tyre, and he says about the people of Tyre, one day I'll judge you for your pagan beliefs and your pagan practices. Those ancient cities uh, were in what is present-day Lebanon. The Canaanites were extremely pagan, and one of the definitions that fits in terms of their paganness was they were hedonist. And their gods not only allowed, but encouraged them to be hedonists. They had temple prostitutes and things like that as a part of their worship. I mean, they're given over to pleasure and what feels good and doing their own thing. They were hedonists. They worshiped a pantheon of gods. Some of them uh, we know from the scriptures, the more the well-known ones. And they were gods like Baal, Dagon, Molech, Asherah, Ashtaroth. Some of you are going, yeah, I recognize some of those names from the Bible. But that's not the only gods. They, they had a, a lot of gods they believed in and worshipped. And so here's another question I have. Why did this woman not go to the, one of the temples in her land among her own people and seek help for her daughter? And again, we're not given the answer from Scripture, and so I have to speculate and think, well, maybe she did. And she didn't get the help she wanted. As I thought about it a little more deeply, I thought maybe at one of those temples is actually where her daughter actually contacted the evil spirit. But whatever, whatever places she had sought help before, she obviously didn't get it. And now she hears about this Jewish rabbi named Jesus. And she, like Jairus, the Jewish synagogue ruler that we studied a few weeks ago, that now didn't care anything about what his peers, who had nothing to do with Jesus for the most part, didn't believe in Jesus, were antagonistic toward Jesus, but he doesn't care because his daughter is dying. And so he goes to Jesus. And this woman could care less what anybody else thinks for the sake of her daughter. She seeks out Jesus because she has heard he's healing people and he's driving demons out of people. And she doesn't care either that Jesus has secluded himself in trying to get some R&R, &R, which begs another question that I'll just ask, and I don't have the answer. Who ratted on him? And somebody did. I know where he is. I know a man can help you. And she goes. Now, if you're paying any attention at all to what's happened here, if you haven't thought about it, let me just suggest to you, there's something in this story and something about this story that is uncharacteristic of Jesus and the way he interacts with this woman. And the way he interacts with this woman is not 
his normal way of interacting with someone, especially someone that has such great need, a mother and her daughter, young daughter, it says. I'm extremely thankful for four gospel accounts. And even though we don't have all our questions answered, if you want to get the the picture that the Father has given us of what God looks like and acts like in a human body, look at Jesus. Read the Gospels. And thank God we have more than one account. And it's helpful to have more than one account if we're going to get all out of what's happened here with this woman. And so go with me to a different account of the same story, Matthew's account, chapter 15 of the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew adds some detail that's very helpful in understanding what's going on. Verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Now, what I want you to note is that she's using in the initial approach Jewish phraseology. That's not common for her. She doesn't go around talking about, in her culture, in her environment, uh, Lord, son of David, Jesus, Lord, son of David. It's a Jewish phrase. She's, She's addressing him as the Messiah, but it doesn't work. Notice verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. For she keeps crying out after us. So in other words, get the scene. He doesn't answer. And so his disciples say, just tell her to get out of here. And he answered. He answered his disciples to the suggestion, just send her away. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And you have to believe this woman's close enough to hear what he says to his disciples. But that doesn't stop her. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. I have to believe at this point if she wasn't crying, she is crying now. I don't know that, but I have to believe that. And now he replied, not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. She just takes Jesus at his word. She has no cell phone to call home and say, before I leave Jesus, could you tell me how my daughter is? She just believes him. Now we have the more detailed story. And we're going to really pick this thing apart. We need to, to really get out of it what the Lord has for us. In Matthew's account, the first thing I want you to notice is that when she initially comes and she cries out, Lord, son of David, help me. And she tells her, she tells Jesus what she's come for. My daughter, my daughter, the devil's got her. And he gives no response. She uses Jewish phraseology. She recognizes him. She dresses him as Messiah. And yet, I mean, this is something most people in Israel aren't doing. They're not recognizing him as the Messiah. Remember, they crucified him. But she comes publicly, openly, Lord, son of David, messianic title. And he doesn't answer her a word. If you look even casually in the four Gospels, 
and look at Jesus's interaction with people, you will, you will note that what happens here is not normal. He's normally going out of his way for women in need like this, for people in need like this. A widow of name. The funeral procession is going on. They're carrying the coffin of her, of her child. And Jesus goes up to the coffin, lays his hand on the coffin, says to the child, get up. Child gets up. And he takes the child and gives the child back to his mother. Lepers who nobody in their right mind in that culture is getting anywhere near. Jesus is touching them. Lepers are coming saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He says, I'm willing to be clean. I mean, I'll tell you what I wrote in my notes. On the surface, it appears to be out of character with the clear declaration of the word of God as to God's nature of what Jesus is the perfect human manifestation of. Hebrews chapter 1. He is the exact representation of the Father. 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 very simply says God is love. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And yet, on the surface here, it appears to be out of character with that declaration. I'm doing some research, and I just stumbled on a religious site uh, looking for uh, something particular in my study of this passage in Mark and, of course, Matthew 15. And, And it's interesting, one of the things I found. On a religious site in regard to this story. Let me read it for you. Overall, it's not a very positive picture of the almighty God we're getting here. What we're seeing is a petty person who picks and chooses which people he helps based upon their nationality or religion. religion. When combined with his inability to help people from his home area because of their unbelief, we find that Jesus doesn't always behave in an unreservedly compassionate and helpful manner, even when he does finally deign to leave some crumbs and scraps for the otherwise unworthy among us. One commentator who occasionally I read and I go, man, that's good stuff. I read his comment on this story, and uh, I'm not going to mention his name. I'll still read him, but, you know, he's much smarter than me. He writes commentaries, and people actually buy them. But you know what he said? You know what he said about Jesus' initial response to this woman? Here's what he said. He said he ignored her. And again, you pay me to think deeply and long and to study texts like this to come and teach it. And I did. And when I really thought deeply and looked at the context of Scripture, and and, and it just didn't sit well with me, that God in human flesh would just ignore her. Then maybe he's just offended because he's away trying to get some R&R. He goes outside of the boundaries of Israel just to get away. And now this woman comes and maybe he's just annoyed that she would have the audacity to interrupt him. Now, the commentator didn't say everything I just said. He just simply said, he just ignored her. And I, in thinking deeply about that, I think that's just not right. That's not the God that I want to serve. That's not the God I see revealed in Scripture. He ignored her? I don't think so. James 1, verses 16 to 17, that God, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom is no shadow or variableness. In other words, uh, Hebrews 13, 8, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He didn't get up, get up one day and say, I'm just kind of moody today. Don't come to me today, or I might not like it. So I strongly disagree that he ignored her. Where have I landed? Here's where I've landed. 
In the context of Scripture, especially when you think about one of the feedings of the thousands of people, John chapter 6, Jesus turned to one of his disciples, I think it was Philip if I remember right, and he said, where are we going to get food for all these people to eat? And what did Jesus say? You give them something to eat. And here's what that text tells us. He's the only gospel writer that tells us on that occasion that Jesus, Jesus said this just to test him because he already had in mind what he was going to do. And it's my firm belief, my firm conviction, he's not ignoring her. He's testing her. There's a big difference. And our microwave mentality, and I'm an American just like you, and I grew up here, and I, but sometimes our microwave mentality, while it's a blessing to be able to put the thing in there and put 30 seconds on it and get it back out and it's warm again or whatever, depending on what you put in there. But it takes very little time. And sometimes we go to God that way and we push the button and we say, I want you to, okay, it's been 30 seconds. Where's the, where's the answer? And some people just give up. And they walk away. And because they walk away so soon, they never discover a God that if you will not give up on him, you will discover a God that will never give up on you. I love what one commentator said, and I wish I'd have thought of it, saying it this way, but... This was not a punitive silence, but a purposeful silence. And after initially not responding to her verbally, she does not give up. And she continues to follow. And she continues to cry out. So much so that his disciples are annoyed and they say, just tell her to get out of here. And he turns to his disciples, and I have to believe the woman heard what he said. He said to his disciples, as they suggested, just tell her to get out. Tell her to leave. And he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I believe he said that to test his disciples. Now, that statement is true. And please, I just want to understand before we move on and continue to really unpack this thing. Uh, look, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. That's a true statement. Jesus did not come in his first coming to evangelize the world. Verses, ton of them, Romans 1, 16, Romans 2, 9 and 10, Acts 15, 16 to 17. Uh, lots of verses talk about Jesus, God the Father, sending Jesus to Israel. His revelation of himself is through the Jewish people. Not because he loves Jews more than other people in the world. No, for God so loved the world. But it's a plan. It's a pattern. And he could have picked anybody you wanted, but he picked a man named Abram, changed his name to Abraham. Father, exalted father, Abram, Abraham, father of many. And through you and through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. But he's a beginning of a race of people we call Jews. Jesus is Jewish, always has been, always will be. In this glorified state, you won't be able to tell his race. But without his glorified state, he'll always be in a Jewish body. He's Jewish. I have a Jewish Savior. Because God revealed himself to the Jewish people. He gave the covenants. He gave the law. And he gave the Messiah. There's a plan. There's a pattern to the Jew first. Jew first. That's where the scriptures I just threw out to you say Jew first and also to the Gentile. Not one or. No, both. But the plan, the pattern, the Jew first. And then through the Jew the revelation of Messiah to the whole world for God so love the world. 
We're so thankful to be able to share the Word of God with you here on The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you want to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. You can also join in our Bible reading plan. Just look under the Resources tab on our website for more information. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? You might not realize how powerful prayer can be, especially during such uncertain times. There might be a listener who's really struggling, and God might stir in their heart a renewal of their faith simply by listening to this program. Please pray that each person who hears these messages would find encouragement. Just as we're reminded in Mark, God came to earth as a human, suffered in all the ways we do, and ultimately came to redeem each one of us. That's the takeaway we hope every listener gains from tuning in. Please pray for us also to seek God's will for this program and for it to continue to reach people in a powerful way. Thanks for praying with and for us. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Danny continued looking at the book of Mark. We hope that you'll tune in again right here on The Living Word.